to smoke about this time of the day. And all this is keeping me to where I can't go do it. Now, I'm gonna go do it. Well, hello, and welcome to another session of About This Time of Day, a Teen Mom podcast, where we are living in 2009 and would like to stay there. My name is V, I am your host, and this is a show where we talk a little trash about Teen Mom and get a little high while we do it. So thank you so much for joining me on this 10th session. I've made it 10 sessions, you guys. Thank you so much for coming along on this ride with me, and I see my listenership has gone up a little bit. Hello to all my new listeners. I hope you find this as fun and entertaining as I do. Um, Certainly, I hope you're in it for the deep dives into meaningless conversations that happened over 10 years ago. Um, Thank you for listening, and I'm so glad you can be with me on this fun journey of Teen Mom. Today's session companion is some Maui Waui in a cartridge. Mmm, I'm enjoying this. I've never had Maui Waui. The most I know about it is the Kid Cudi song. Um, I've always wanted to try it, and I wish I could get the flowers, so I'm going to be on the lookout for that, because sometimes if you see the cartridge come around, you can see the flower come around too soon, at least where I am. Uh, So I'm going to keep my eye out for the flower, and I'll report back to you guys on that. But, you know, for not having the flower right in front of me, this isn't too bad of a substitute. So... It's a sativa. Oops, I didn't realize that when I bought it, but hey, I guess that'll just make me all the more chipper for this episode. (laughs) So why don't we get right into it? Episode 6 of Teen Mom is called Standing Up, and the description reads, Teenage mother Macy struggles with resenting her boyfriend, while Caitlin worries her boyfriend's father might go to jail. Farah shifts her focus to her daughter, And Amber faces her fears about putting her baby in daycare. Wow, okay. Our first scene in Standing Up is ironically Amber, and we do in fact see her standing up. Her voiceover tells the audience that she is just now, somehow, figuring out how difficult it is to take care of Leah on her own, and she doesn't have any money for diapers. Finding that she has no money for diapers, she heads on over to Gary's house to demand some diapers. She literally walks in the house. Gary opens the door. She says, here, take her, meaning Leah in her little car carrier. And first thing out of her mouth, I need diapers. Where, where are the diapers? And Gary pulls out some diapers. I'm sorry. The last time we saw Amber, I thought that she was like living in a hotel and Gary like gave up his own apartment to let her move back in and, you know, like stocked the fridge for her and everything. And now we see her coming over frustrated and demanding diapers from him without so much as a hello. Gary brings out the diapers, hands them to Amber. She looks at Gary and says, four diapers? You come in without saying hi, you demand something from him, and now what he's giving you isn't good enough, and yet you can't provide for yourself. You just keep complaining then, Amber, that's fine. Now, I'm not sure how the conversation gets there, but somehow Amber says, well, you know what, I really don't like relying on you and your mom. I always have to ask your mom for babysitting because I can't afford it, and I don't like relying on anybody. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here wondering, what happened to all that GED bullshit? I don't even hear that being mentioned now. That doesn't even sound like an option anymore. She's just looking for diaper handouts and complaining when it's not enough. Gary tells Amber, well, that's how it's going to be. You're going to have to rely on other people if you're living out on your own. 
Amber retorts that she can live out on her own perfectly fine. And Gary agrees that yes, she can because Gary's paying the bills. They pretty much end that conversation on that note and Amber commands Gary to put Leah in her car so she can get going. Oh, gosh, what a rocky start already to this episode. So in Amber's previous scene, we heard Gary say, yeah, you're living on your own fine because I'm paying the bills. And as I said, what happened to that GED? Well, the show knew that the viewers were wondering because the very next Amber scene, we see her in the library with baby Leah, and she has one of her friends come and sit with Leah in the library so she can study for her GED. Yay! Okay, so it is happening. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to be as proud of you as I was the first time, Amber, because now I just, I don't trust you. So cool. I'm glad that you're still thinking about it. But we don't see Amber studying. We see Amber having a very depressing conversation with her friend that comes to sit with Leah. I think this is the same friend that came to see her in the hotel, but I'm not totally sure. Where are you staying at? Back at the house. You are still staying there? Are you all right? No, I'm not. I've been alone for two weeks now. One week in a hotel, one week in at the house. He's paying the bills and everything. It just makes me feel bad. But I don't have any other place to go. I'm taking care of her and trying to go to school. And I, I, I sort of have to rely on Gary for basically anything and everything right now. It doesn't feel good inside to be vulnerable. Like, I feel, like, weak and helpless. Like, I'm literally broken. So I feel like Amber doesn't have a lot of perspective here. I'm sure when her friend asked her, so how's that being back at the apartment? How are you doing? She wasn't expecting Amber to go terrible because literally you were living in a motel with your daughter two weeks ago and now your situation has improved immensely. Someone's paying your fucking bills and you have the audacity to sit there and say that life is terrible. Now I understand that Obviously, mental issues are happening, and when those are going on, everything around you can be absolutely terrible, even if things are okay. However, I feel like you can still be extremely ungrateful as a person and have those mental problems, and I feel that it doesn't really give you a pass all the time. She could be having a bad time, yet still acknowledging, well, I am happy I'm not in that hotel anymore, or I am thankful that Gary's paying my way, instead of... I don't like having to rely on people. Amber's friend at this point kind of looks tired of her and over her bullshit. Like, what do you want your plan to be for, like, the future and everything? All I know is when I get my GED, I can get a good job. I'm just happy that I'm not giving up on school. Like, a long time ago, I would have just gave up like I did in high school, you know? Well, yeah. So that's, that's like, it shows me that I'm changed. <gasps> She's standing! They're in a fucking library. She was standing. She stood. I know, I see her. <laughs> For us viewers who have been watching with our eyes, we would have known that throughout this entire scene, Leah has been standing. She's been standing and leaning. I didn't realize it was a big deal. I didn't know. <laughs> Are you really telling me, Amber, that this is the first time you've seen her stand? Have you seen her stand and maybe you don't remember seeing her stand? I just refuse to believe this is the first time. It looks very natural to Leah. 
Also, while this conversation is happening, Leah is doing whatever the fuck she wants to do, putting different toys from the library kids section in her mouth one by one. They're giant. She's not going to choke. But Amber's not paying any fucking attention to what her child is doing once again. And I really feel that not even in the time of COVID, you should be watching what your kids put in their fucking mouths. Okay. Like all respect to my moms who are listening, please watch your kids and what they put in their fucking mouths. (laughs) Just please. I couldn't believe watching baby Leah and she doesn't know it's not her her fault. That's what she would probably do at home, I understand. But Amber, you need to tell her to take that giant foam domino out of her fucking mouth because other kids have been touching that all day and she could get sick. It's so frustrating. Amber is frustrating. This episode has been very frustrating so far. As Amber is raving over this revelation of Leah being able to stand, mm, it's very clear that while she is now watching Leah literally has her eyes on her, she still doesn't give two shits what she does. Leah starts crawling down an aisle of books far away from Amber. It's not like they're right next to her. She's a few yards down. As the old saying goes, let your children run wild and free. The scene closes out on that note, and Amber's voiceover says, If Leah can learn to stand on her own, maybe I can too. Yeah, maybe. And with that, I think it's time for a Christina fact. It's a Christina fact. Christina's last name before she married Gary was Anderson. And I discovered through my trying to find a fact about Christina that if you Google search Christina Anderson, images will bring up a whole bunch of different people that look a lot like our Christina, but aren't. Uh, I don't know. I think that's pretty weird. It's a Christina fact. I suppose in Amber's case, learning to stand on her own means completely relying on other people for childcare. In Amber's next scene, Amber's voiceover lets us know that while Gary's mother had been taking care of Leah on the days that Amber had to do her Amber things, like getting high and maybe practicing for the GED, that may not be able to happen any longer. Gary comes home and says that, hey, my mom wants us to come over. Maybe we can discuss the babysitting issue because I know she's getting a job. So Gary's mom is getting a job randomly and now can no longer watch Leah during the weeks. Okay. Amber is not happy about this. Uh, She seems a little perturbed, but they go over to have dinner at Gary's mom's house anyway. Gary and Amber and Gary's mom are shown to be sitting down and chopping vegetables for the meal. It's weird to see Amber doing anything housewifey. Gary's mom and Amber begin to have the conversation about the babysitting. When are your classes? 3.30 to 6.30. On what days? Mondays and Wednesdays. Gary, what about your schedule? Because I have no clue Mine what yours flips. is. Like Wednesdays I have school, even when I don't work. So there's really not much I can do there. Well, this is not like a months away thing. This is like Tuesday. I want to interrupt really quick and just say I love it when people say Tuesday or Wednesday. Oh, so cute. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to figure something out. Have you checked into daycare? I don't want her in daycare right now at this age. Like, I want to be able to talk to her. Like, if something happens in daycare, she can at least tell us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want her in daycare right now. She's too young. She doesn't go to daycare until she can speak. I mean, this 
wasn't something that I just, it just sort of happened. <laughs> it wasn't something I was actually planning on it. Bills won't wait. Well, no, I told you about this a while back, and you said that you'd be able to, and then now it's like... Things change, baby. You need a job. Yeah. Worst-case scenario, if I can't watch her, what are you going to do? I don't know yet. I don't know. Tell me why I feel like we never get the full context of certain things on this show. So, she wasn't planning on getting this job, Gary's mom, but... She randomly got this job, and suddenly the bills can't wait. What was paying the bills before? Did she have a job before and she lost her job? We don't know. That's not explained to us. I totally understand. Take the paying job over the non-paying job, even if that non-paying job is spending so much time with your granddaughter. But I don't understand here the suddenness, how quickly this came about, the spontaneity of it all. I mean, Amber has a lot of fucking nerve to call her out on it, but Amber does say, like, well, you did, you know, make this commitment, and now suddenly you can't do it. But Gary is right by stepping in and saying, people need jobs. Yeah, that's true, people do. But once again, we're not getting the answer to the question, what was she doing before this? Honestly, I wouldn't blame her if she, like, saw Amber dicking around all day and said to herself, well, I could actually be making some fucking money, so I'm gonna go do that, and just didn't tell them. I wonder if that didn't happen. I also want to comment on what both Gary and Amber do say about Leah in daycare. We don't want her in daycare until she's able to speak. And Gary makes a great point. You know, if something happens at daycare, I want her to be able to tell us. That's an amazing consideration as a safety measure. I truly probably would not have thought of that. Um, Maybe now as an adult, I would have. As a teenager, hearing them say that, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. If she sees somebody hurting somebody else or if she's getting hurt, you know, you want that child to be able to tell you something is going on here. So kudos to them for making that observation. It's, It's a great one if you can stick to it. I just really hope here that we figure something out because Amber ends that conversation very desolate. And... I have to laugh at the striking knife sound you hear. I don't know yet. I don't know. Oh my fucking god. That would really scare the shit out of me if I were Gary's mom sitting across from her. I don't know yet. I don't know. Okay, girl, just asking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, like, whew. Don't give her any sharp objects. I think we learned that the hard way. Amber's voiceover ends that scene by once again telling everybody, all I know is I'm not ready to put my baby into daycare. Amber's scene does cut to commercial, but the show comes right back to Amber, much to my dismay. Man, I used to love her scenes just because they were so crazy, but now that I have to, like, criticize them, it's so fucking frustrating. In Amber's next scene, we see her getting ready for a meeting with her GED counselor, or whatever kind of counselor she's going to to help her on her education path. You know, the one that she cried in front of and just placed Leah on the table in front of? Well, she's about to head out on that meeting, Gary's watching Leah, and we see them meet up and start to discuss how Amber is coming along with her GED work. Amber's first response is, the GED is going horrible. It's going horrible. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, (laughs) She's got this blank look on her face, looking down at the table, no expression, very dead dead look on her face when she says it's going terrible it's almost like she doesn't even care but she knows she has to say something 
We see this poor counselor who's for some reason wrapped around Amber's finger, it seems, really empathize with Amber, really kind of say, hey, you're working on this. You're going to do it. This bitch believes in Amber so much. I almost kind of feel bad for her. I'm like, no, honey, she's tricking you. This is all a show. This is truly a show. And I think the viewers see that most of all. For all the kudos I gave to Amber and Gary just a moment ago for their decision to keep Leah out of daycare before she can talk, this guidance counselor says to Amber, well, hey, have you have you thought about daycare? You know, you can be a full-time student. I think that's what she means, full-time student. Going three days a week, you'll be able to take advantage of the sliding scale of the daycare. They're willing to work with you. They're willing to work with students really twisting her arm to put Leah in daycare. It's pretty remarkable. There is an edited voiceover into the conversation where Amber is made to appear as if she's saying, well, then I guess I'll put Leah in daycare. How quickly, how quickly her mind changes. She hardly gave it any fight whatsoever when just what we're made to believe was the day before. She's giving Gary's mom, no, she's not going to daycare. She's not going to daycare. She's not going to daycare. Three times she said it. This counselor lady says, oh, sliding scale and boom, now she's in. So what was it really about? Amber ends the scene walking out after giving that poor counselor woman a hug and says through her voiceover, I don't want to put Leah in daycare, but it's what's best for our future. You're flaky. I can't stand flaky people. When we next see Amber, it's only for a few minutes as she is checking out a new daycare for baby Leah. She walks in, introduces herself and baby Leah to the staff, and just kind of gets to know what they do there. Again, this is a short scene. It doesn't really take Amber very long to be convinced that, oh yeah, this place looks clean enough. You change diapers every hour? Great. I can bring formula in? Great. And seems kind of sold on the idea. The scene ends with her voiceover saying, maybe I was wrong about daycare. Does it really matter? Because it seems like you'll just change your mind at the drop of a hat. In Amber's next scene, it becomes pretty clear that she likes looking at multiple daycares just about as much as she likes styling multiple phone numbers, because she just decided on the one daycare that we saw her look at, and that was perfect for Leah. Her scene opens with these sentiments. My baby girl is growing up so fast, I can't believe it. First day of daycare! When 20 minutes ago to us, but to her it was probably all of three days, she was so adamantly against Leah going into daycare. I don't want her in daycare right now at this age. I don't want her in daycare right now. She doesn't go to daycare until she can speak. But now she's so big and growing up so fast, even though I swear to God she doesn't look a day older. Amber takes Leah to the daycare and it looks fine. Um, the outside kind of looks a little shady, but all we see is a brick wall, a door, and a cute little scarecrow outside. So, you know, I can't really judge. Inside, it looks the exact same as when she was checking it out. She drops Leah off and she immediately starts having a good time. As we often see with small children, we see Leah in a safe environment and probably just happy to get away from all the yelling. All the other kids really seem to like her already and one gives her a little kiss on the cheek, which you would never be allowed to do today. But <laughs> it was still cute to see. I love seeing babies get along. It's adorable. 
Amber eventually feels secure enough to leave baby Leah there in the hands of the very caring people that she's with and heads out to do her Amber things like sleeping or laying down. We have seen her standing up a lot in this episode, so I'm sure she's due for a nap. Caitlin's first scene opens up with her and Tyler looking at some pictures of Carly, of course, and her voiceover tells everybody that she's feeling so much better since she's gone to that birth mom retreat, and I'm so happy to hear that. That's all I wanted for her, so I'm hoping this will start bringing a little more stability into her life because we all know her life isn't the most stable. Speaking of which, the scene continues to give us a little recap of Caitlin's complicated family tree. My mom, April, is married to Tyler's dad, Butch. And since they moved to Richmond, I've been staying with Tyler's mom, who's also Butch's ex. She puts that much more succinctly than I could ever even hope to. As Caitlin's voiceover is finishing up her reminder, she says that even though we've moved away from Butch, that doesn't mean he can't bring the drama to us. Oh boy. Butch walks through the door and announces, I'm visiting, coming over. Tyler immediately turns to him, looks like they're all hanging out in the kitchen anyway, Kim, Caitlin, and Tyler. And he says, where did you come from? Small reminder, Richmond, where April and Butch moved to, is 60 miles away, 6-0. So this isn't like, a joyride for him. He's coming here with a purpose. Butch says, well, didn't you hear? April and I got into a fight. We got into it. Butch has a huge scratch down his cheek. It's not like cut open, but there was obviously a physical altercation that occurred. The conversation that happens next is slightly confusing to me. I've watched it more than once now. Um, I was really tired when I watched it last night and honestly quit for the evening because I just didn't get it. And even now after like sleeping and waking up, I still don't quite understand what happens, but I'll give you the gist of what I think happens in this conversation. Butch goes through and explains the argument. He says that he was at a bar and his phone was ringing or something. April was accusing him of cheating. It's not clear if April was with him at the bar or not. Regardless, they got into an argument somewhere and April appears to have scratched Butch and Butch admits to pulling April's hair. And when he says that, Tyler responds, well, you didn't hit her or punch or anything, right? And Butch replies, no, no, I don't hit women. And the camera does an interesting thing. It focuses right in on Kim. And her face doesn't change necessarily. She's almost kind of giving a blank stare. She's listening, obviously. But I think that was interesting how the camera pans to Kim, his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, immediately upon hearing, oh, well, I don't hit women. Does production know something that I don't know? Because I don't ever remember hearing about Butch being physically abusive to Kim, but Butch is a fucking deadbeat, so I wouldn't put it past him. As the conversation continues, we learn that Butch is still on parole, and I think he's saying that he's going to have to at least tell his parole officer that this incident happened. He says he never had any police contact, but he obviously can't go back home, and he's going to have to talk to somebody about what happened. At hearing that he cannot go back home at this time, Kim says, well, you can stay here as long as you need. And immediately Butch says, oh, well, I'm not planning on staying long. Yeah, that's what deadbeats always say. As the scene closes out, Tyler asks Butch, so what does this mean? What's happening now? You have to tell your parole officer what's going to happen after that. Are you going back to jail? And Butch says, yeah, I'll, I mean, I don't know, but probably. And I just feel like this is such a sad moment for Tyler. Like this poor kid 
He's only seen Butch on such a temporary basis, and that continues to be touched on more and more throughout the series. We saw in that one episode them going out to bowling and Tyler trying to address, hey, you've never been there for me, Dad. And here we are seeing it happen once again. Hey, you guys, let me use you for a place to stay before I have to go back to jail again. Now, I know family should support other family members, but I'm of the personal belief that there's a certain point where you need to draw a line. And I think, as I said before, Butch crossed that line so many times and so long ago. Caitlin's next scene opens up with her voiceover saying that Butch has been staying with them for the last few days, and it's actually not been too bad. It seems like he and Tyler are getting to spend some time together. We see Butch calling out for Tyler to make some breakfast, but instead Tyler says, no, let's go out and work on my car. I'm not sure what was wrong with his car, but he and Butch go out to work on it. The scene transitions back and forth a few times from that back to Caitlin, who's in the house. Caitlin has a conversation with Kim, and Kim says, you know, I hope you don't feel like you have to take Butch's side in this argument because, you know, he's here and I'm here. I don't want you to feel pressured, which is very considerate, truthfully. But Caitlin says that, no, I tell him when he's wrong. I tell my mom when she's wrong. It's really no big deal. And her voiceover right before this tells us that she wants to stay out of it completely. She doesn't want to get involved. And I can't blame her. That shit sounds messy. Mm -mm, None of your business. You know what I mean? The scene continues and Caitlin makes a short phone call to her mother just to check in and make sure she's okay. April confirms that she's fine. It's nothing that her big tough mom can't handle, she says to Caitlin. And Caitlin says that she knew, but she just wanted to make sure she was all right. That's pretty cool, too. I'm not surprised that Caitlin was the one to reach out. I'm glad that April didn't reach out to Caitlin first to tell her about it. I feel like this is not something that she should be involved with anyway, exactly the way she wants it. It's still nice to see that she checked in with April just to make sure everything was okay. Back outside, Tyler is asking Butch some tough questions. So you have an idea how long a, um... Oh, on the jail tip? Yeah. I don't know, dude. I guess if you do go to jail, give you some time to think. <laughs> Get away from your crazy life yeah, a little bit. Think about your priorities, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it ain't working out too good. Got a rocky, rocky road. And they ain't talking about ice cream. <laughs> it's weird, though, because this is the longest you've been out that I can remember. Yeah. Kind of used to it by now, though. <laughs> Sorry. What am I gonna learn, huh? I don't know, man. I don't know. Sometimes you gotta pay the piper, you know? Got to pay the piper. Those final words end that scene, and the scrapbook animation shows a picture of Butch with jail bars over it. Unfortunately appropriate. But I want to talk about that conversation really quick and the way Tyler is addressing Butch. We've seen Tyler address Butch in the past. It's not unusual for Tyler to kind of stand his ground and say what's on his mind. And I'm happy to kind of see him do that here. But I have to notice it's extremely subdued and under the guise of flippant conversation. Like when Butch reacts to Tyler saying that he's used to Butch being in and out of jail, he laughs heartily and apologizes half-heartedly. I can't help but feel for Tyler in that moment because he wasn't joking. 
he was being 100% real, like, no, I'm, I'm pretty much used to it by now, kind of testing the waters to see what he would say. They're on neutral ground right now, they're fixing a car, there's a distraction in front of them, but they're still talking. This is a great time to kind of throw that out there. And unfortunately, we see how Butch reacts. We see him, <laughs> sorry, bud, fuck you, are you serious? God, go to hell. It just breaks my heart because Tyler... I feel like still doesn't understand and I don't understand we all no one understands why he has to be this way and it's not fair to Tyler in Caitlin's next scene we see her and Tyler heading home from school just talking about how much they don't like school and how boring it is and once Caitlin and Tyler arrive home they go into Tyler's room and they start kind of discussing the issues going on with Tyler's dad Butch Tyler asks Caitlin what she thinks of Butch staying with them for the weekend or so. Caitlin says she doesn't mind it. It's kind of nice having him around, especially since it only is the weekend. She does comment that she hopes he's able to turn himself in or do whatever he needs to do with himself on that following Monday and sympathizes with Tyler in that moment. And Tyler doesn't understand why. She actually goes, oh, poor honey. And he says, poor me. Why poor me? And Caitlin answers him, well, because I know deep down you really love your dad, and I know this is hard for you. And Tyler essentially agrees with her, yeah, I never denied I loved him, and yeah, this is hard for me, but really, it's it's kind of been my whole life. Caitlin asks Tyler if he would be pissed if his dad actually had to go back to jail, because at this point, that's still a question mark. Tyler said it would suck, but he wouldn't be hurt necessarily. It just reaffirms for him what his choice and Caitlin's choice was for Carly to place her for adoption, so she won't even have to worry about any of this. That conversation leads into one where they're talking about how much they miss Carly and how they wish that she could just be in the room with them right now. I wish that for them too, but as Tyler himself pointed out, we have a prime example of why she's not here, and that's because of Butch. I mean, one of the examples, <laughs> just one reason why. But another thing too, I can't help but notice that these two only think about the happy things that come with babies, the idealization that surrounds babies and infants, the sleeping on your chest while you're also resting, the rocking in a rocking chair and singing lullabies. Yeah, of course, those are all great things that come with babies, but newsflash guys, especially in the environment you're in, those moments may be very different in reality if you had kept Carly. So I wish they would take that into account as well, because it's just a very idealized look they have into the life of parenthood. They only see the happy times, not the 3 a.m. feedings mixed in with arguments with your alcoholic mother. Caitlin's next scene focuses on Tyler and Butch. Caitlin says that she's studying for a test, so Kim, Tyler's mom, and Tyler are taking Butch to the county courthouse or the county jail to turn himself in. I think for the warrants they were talking about in the previous scene and also to tell his parole officer that he got into an altercation. This is just what I think they're going for. I'm really having a hard time following exactly what the protocol is. We do see Tyler, Kim, and Butch in the car on the way to the county courthouse or wherever they're going. It's an interesting feeling in the scene. You can tell that everybody's being really supportive of Butch and Butch knows that he fucked up. Kim asks if he's nervous. He says he's past nervousness. At this point, he just has to accept what's coming. Right before they pull up to the courthouse, Kim asks Butch, you know, isn't it time to grow up? <laughs> 
it's one of those things where I feel like she's trying to be helpful. But in that moment, is that really going to help? Well, isn't it time to, like, grow up? Yes, it is, Kim. Yeah, I don't know if that's really helping or hurting. I feel like even though the whole car is supportive, she could have led with maybe a more loving statement. But she doesn't have to. She's his ex, after all. She's doing him a huge favor by being there, taking him, allowing him to crash at their house. So maybe I should lay off of her. They arrive at the courthouse, and Butch gets out of the car, gives Tyler a big hug. They both tell each other that they love each other and that they'll be waiting for him when he comes back out. Very hopeful, really trying to stay positive, and I appreciate that sentiment. Kim even says the same thing. Hey, we'll be waiting for you. Good luck. I'm really happy to see the supportive environment. I understand, and I'm the first to admit, Butch is a fucking asshole. And I'm sure what he did to April is being way underplayed here. I'm not even going to try to pretend it's not. However, I do believe that even criminals are deserving of some kind of support. You know, I I watch this and I put myself in that position. I've never had a personal friend of mine be in jail or be in this kind of trouble. And I say to myself, well, how would I, if that was my dad, yeah, I would be extremely disappointed, but also... I would want to be showing him love too. Like I would miss him so much if he had to go away. And it just makes me happy to see that even for a brief moment, they can look past Butch's transgressions and just support him as a family member. That said, you need to watch that line between bullshit and real love because Butch is the kind of person to weave bullshit in between real love. And so you get confused on what's what. We watch Butch go into the courthouse and that ends up the scene. We cut to commercial and then come right back to Caitlin and Tyler. The scene opens up back on Caitlin studying for her test, but her voiceover says it's really hard to concentrate when she's worried about whether or not Butch is going to get put away. The scene goes over to Tyler and Kim still waiting for Butch to come on out. And sure enough, he walks right out of that building. Can you believe it? He jumps in the car and says he's free on personal bond. Whew, he is a lucky son of a bitch. He is a lucky son of a bitch. They're on their way home. He's telling Tyler, I was really nervous. I tried not to show it, but you know, my underarms were sweating. Could you tell? Ha 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 ha. I don't know. It's this light moment, I guess. But it appears as as soon as they get home, Butch is on the move. He's starting up his car. Tyler comes out of the house and asks, what are you doing, dad? And Butch says, hey, well, I gotta go. I, I gotta go get April. Why do you have to go get April? Is there not like a restraining order or a PFA or something out on you right now? I know you're out on bond, but what does that mean for you in April? I'm confused. I don't know what actually is happening here. All I know is that when Butch tells Tyler that he is out of here once again, you can feel the disappointment in the room. They're outside, but I'll say in the room for the effect of it. You can feel the disappointment. Tyler sits down on the side of their deck and says, well, it was nice having you here for the weekend. I liked working on the car with you and stuff. That breaks my heart. That's like a little kid like, Daddy, will you want to play ball with me? You know, cats in the cradle kind of thing. Uh, It was fun working on the car with you, Dad. And Butch says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it too. I liked it too. All right. Well, I love you. Gives him a big hug and heads out. The scene transitions to later that night. Tyler's outside on a little swing in their backyard or porch area. And Caitlin comes out to join him. 
Caitlin asks if he's relieved that Butch didn't go to jail, and he says yes, he's very lucky, and they're just kind of talking about how nice it was to have Butch around and to be able to bond with him, but Tyler does say he can't take this looming threat of jail time with his dad anymore. He just can't handle it, and it's going to have to come to an end sooner or later. Caitlin tells him that she loves him for that, for his maturity, and that she thinks it's sexy. They both laugh together on the swing, and that ends the scene. I guess we see Butch being Butch the same way we see Ryan being Ryan. You know, it's just kind of what we have to expect at this point. An absentee person. Just an absentee person. The second, the second he finds out he's not going to jail, he's out of there. Like he doesn't owe anybody anything. Was there a thank you? We didn't get to see that as viewers. We did not get to see that. His mind was with April the second he got that bond. And I'm sure there's cocaine where there's April. Next, we meet up with Farah. Her very first opening scene, believe it or not, her voiceover says, she's taking a break from dating. Oh, wow. Amazing. And spending more time with Sophia. Thank God. So that means, she says, that going out now consists mostly of lunch with mom and dad. Not a terrible thing, you know, if you don't hate your parents and... I don't really know how she's feeling about them lately. It seems like if they're going out to lunch, they're getting along. So I'm hoping that's a positive sign. The scene continues and we see Farah and her family, Michael, Deb, baby Sophia, going out to a place called Spaghetti Works. You're going to be eating spaghetti very soon. Settle down, paisan, okay? I have to wonder what else they have there. I fucking, I can't get over it. Like, is it just spaghetti? Do they have like spaghetti tacos a la iCarly? Or is it more like spaghetti where they spook you when you're at your table? I don't know. I've got so many questions. Is this place still open? I'm definitely going to go there. Mark that down. Mark that down. We see Farah, Deb, Michael, and baby Sophia sitting down at their table. I don't quite see what they're eating. I was honestly too busy looking at little Sophia. I haven't seen her hardly at all in the last, um, I'm sorry, six episodes. And she's finally getting some FaceTime, so I'm so happy to see that. She's adorable. If Bentley's a potato bug, she's a little wiggle worm. That's my decision. The conversation that follows at lunch is a positive one, and I'm happy to see it. We have Deb in her own way commending Farah for staying in more. She says that, oh, baby Sophia is much happier with you around. And Farah says, well, duh. <laughs> Girl. And Michael even says as well, yeah, I can tell you've been kind of cutting back on going out every night and gives her this face like, which you shouldn't have been doing anyway, but he doesn't say that. Um, thankfully, Farah is smart enough just to stay quiet for that one. And she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of agreeing with them and um, allowing them to say what they want to say, which when you're dealing with some people is truly the best way to go. Michael tells her that baby Sophia needs her to teach her all kinds of things. She's like a little sponge and needs her mom to show her the world. And Farah totally agrees. So I'm happy to see everybody on the same page. The conversation soon shifts to Deb asking Farah, well, have you talked to Ashley lately? Ashley, for those who might not know or who are just joining us, is her sister. And a few episodes ago, they got into an argument because... She was essentially telling Farah what everybody has been telling Farah, just using more direct language than other people had ever used, and Farah took that very poorly and stormed out of her apartment. Deb says, you know, it's been so long, I don't even remember what you guys are fighting about. And Farah says, well, she called me a bad mom. 
which I'm not going to go back and rehash that whole situation. Feel free to go back and listen to that episode. But that's not what happened. Ashley was telling Farah, hey, spend more time with Sophia because you're not doing that. Once again, what everybody was thinking. Deb continues and tries to implore Farah to make up with her sister, and Michael agrees with her. You only have one sister, he says. Farah, kind of being dismissive, says, yeah, yeah, I only have one sister. But she's not being snotty. She's just trying to move on with the conversation. That pretty much ends the scene. Farah's voiceover closes out by saying that she's not sure if she's ready to forgive her sister for calling her a bad mom. Once again, that's not what happened. I am such a fan of Farah's next scene. We see Farah and baby Sophia go on a grocery shopping trip. Farah has an assignment for her culinary school where she has to make dinner and take a picture of it. We see Farah being completely lost in the grocery store. It's very clear, and she does say on camera that she doesn't do the grocery shopping. Her dad does. Michael does. But she's still trying her best, and I have to give her credit because that's what we're about here on About This Time of Day. We see her going through the store. She grabs some items for pizza. She's going to make a pear walnut and blue cheese pizza and i'm all about weird pizzas like that so sign me up i'll try it at one point farah has to call deb and ask if they have the walnuts at home deb confirms that they do and then farah pretends that she's not getting good reception and essentially hangs up on her i never have the nerve to do shit like that now i get where she's coming from deb was asking so how's it going how's sophia and Really, the actuality is she's probably going to be home in about a half hour. She can tell her all about it then. My mom is the same way. I can't do that with her. Like, if she asks me these questions, I'll answer her in shorthand. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Mom, I'll talk to you more when I get home, okay? All right, Mom. Okay. Okay, Mom. Okay, Mom. I'm going to go. I'm getting in line now. Mom. Okay, bye. So that's how it typically goes for me. I can't pull that on anybody but it does make the times when I'm actually in bad reception and talking to somebody that I don't want to talk to all that much better. Farah and baby Sophia arrive home and Farah starts to cook. It looks like she's doing okay. That's one thing I've never questioned. I really think that Farah is probably a decent cook, at least, if nothing else. It seems like something she enjoys and is passionate about one way or another. So I'm happy to see that she's still moving forward in that goal. She places baby Sophia on the floor on a blanket. Okay, baby Sophia can't crawl yet, it doesn't look like, but she can still roll around. Or no, she can probably crawl. I don't know, but she stays still in this scene. I really don't know because we haven't seen Sophia hardly at all, so it's really hard for me to say like, oh yeah, she can do this, she can do that. I have no fucking idea. Regardless, Farah places her on the floor and has to continue going back and forth between her cooking and checking on Sophia, and she does an okay job. In the end, Farah completes her pizza and eats it on the floor with Sophia. I don't think she gives Sophia any, probably better, choking hazard, all that good stuff. And her voiceover says, one day, me and Sophia are going to open our own restaurant. It was really cute. I was so happy to see that. We see Farah moving forward with her goals. We see her actively taking care of Sophia. We see her enjoying a meal and setting dream goals. We're going to open our own restaurant someday. Don't you wish that was the route they would have taken? 
Next time we see Farah, she is once again trying to ride the free babysitting train, but this time it's for a good reason. She needs to go to the library to work on something for her class. I guess she needs to find a recipe. Well, unfortunately, Deb can't help because she's working on a paper of her own. Um, if you guys don't know, Deb is an MBA. I think that's what it is. It was on her wedding invitation. <laughs> I guess I would too if I had an accreditation like that. I'm not going to put bachelor's degree on my wedding um, invitations though. Deb can't watch little Sophia, but does suggest for Farah to wear this baby sling so that she may carry Sophia around with her. So we get to see Farah for the next 15 minutes or so, um, not literally in the show, but at least 15 minutes in real life this had to take her, struggling with this baby sling, trying to get it on herself, trying to get baby Sophia in it, and of course then struggling to get on her Iowa winter gear. For those of us in colder climates in the winter, you know how frigid it can get, so you don't want to really take risks and uh, go without your boots or go without your gloves or something like that. As she's getting herself together, we actually get to see Michael come in and help her put on her boots because she has baby Sophia slung over her already and can't make the bend to zip up her boots all the way. I feel like she may have done this backwards, but I can't comment on it because I have never had a child. So <laughs> moms that are listening, please tell me what is the proper order of this? Do you... No, you know what? I'm just going to let you tell me because I really don't know. I don't even want to guess, but it's great watching Farah try to figure it out. Next, we see Farah and Sophia at the library. They have made it. Sophia is still snug in her little sling. Quite cute, by the way. She's wearing a little pink jacket and is just so adorable. Farah tries to sit down at a chair and start looking over some recipe books, but Sophia immediately starts crying when she sits down. And I'm like, oh, no. Farah realizes that Sophia doesn't like having her hat on, so she takes that off, but leaves the rest of her jacket on. That kid is going to get overheated. But when she takes the hat off, Sophia is no longer crying, and Farah can look through the book without issue. Farah's voiceover closes out that scene by saying, I can't believe I'm actually getting my work done with Sophia. Once again, the only mom to do it. Kudos, Farah. Good on you. It's a while before we see Farah again, but when we do, we see her sister coming over to her house, well, Farah's mother's house, you know, the family home, to try to make up with Farah for the fight that they had earlier in the show. Deb, Michael, and Farah were all discussing over dinner how important it is for Farah and her sister to work things out and for Sophia to have her aunt in her life. So we see Ashley, Farah's sister, coming over here, trying to make peace and trying to make everything okay between the two of them. I want to say it's a little awkward at first, but I'm starting to think this is just how the two of them communicate. It's a little cold and tense at first, even if they're smiling and happy. But as things go on, you can feel them start to loosen up, especially when Ashley starts asking about Sophia, how she's doing, and then eventually says that she thinks that their fight that they had before was stupid. She feels like Farah has gone into mommy mode since they've last spoken, since they last had that argument. And now she essentially feels like she can respect Farah. She doesn't say that to her, but really that's what she's saying. Now that you've gone ahead and put Sophia first, like you fucking should have been doing this whole time, I can respect you as a person and my sister and we can have a relationship again. 
It's nice here to see Farah accepting of Ashley and everything she's saying and agreeing that, yes, Sophia needs to see her aunt much more often. So, yay, I'm really happy that they're able to connect again and become friends again and hopefully reestablish that relationship because truly, I think they need each other when dealing with Deb. And we might even see that come out later in this season or next season. I don't really remember. I do know that Ashley stops filming after a certain amount of time. I think because Deb kind of goes overboard kissing Farrah's ass. I'm not totally sure. Don't quote me on that. Again, I'm just a stoner fan, so we'll see. But it's an interesting dynamic, and I think the two of them, at least right now, totally need each other. So happy to see this reunion. Our final girl for this episode is Macy, and I will say that Macy's first scene starts with a fucking doozy. Her voiceover begins the scene by saying, ever since Brian and I went to the relationship counselor, it's been the topic of every conversation, including our huge family get-togethers. Basically just meaning Macy's parents, Ryan's parents, Macy, Ryan, baby Bentley. So that's a pretty good group. I can't fathom the idea of having that kind of a dinner where my relationship is the primary topic of conversation. Y'all can fuck right off with that shit, if we're being real, because no, that's not what we're talking about. But we get to watch that very thing happen to poor Macy and Ryan. And I will even give him some sympathy here, because even though he doesn't give a shit about any of this, he's still involved. And I would never wish this kind of situation on anybody. Well, maybe some people. So many interesting things happen in this dinner conversation. I'll try to start chronologically and not go on too long. First off, we have them talking about the dinner, no big deal. And then Larry asks Macy's father, aren't you glad they got back together? Oh my fucking god, bury my face in the mashed potatoes now. Are you fucking serious? What else is he going to answer to that? But I sure am. Then a voiceover of Macy's father says, that little boy down there deserves that. I don't know when they had him record this or why, but he clearly did not actually say that in the moment. So that's weird to me. Why do we have to put an emphasis on that? You know I fucking hate that idea. Yes, Bentley deserves everything in the world, but if... You know, your dad's a fucking deadbeat and treats Queen Macy like a piece of shit. What can you do? So that's the first weird thing. Second, Larry then says, Hey, to Macy and Ryan, have you guys thought about another appointment with the psychiatrist? And before they can answer, Jen interjects, and honestly, this may be voiceover too, but I'm still questioning it, so we'll go with it. Jen interjects, relationship educator. Get it right, Larry, not a psychiatrist, not a therapist, not even a relationship advisor, a relationship educator. No room in that for anybody needing actual help. Do you notice that? Advisor means you need advice. Therapist means you need to go to therapy, and obviously psychology and psychiatry is a more serious version of that to where it's a medical issue. But Jen wants to make it clear that they did not go to any of the previous They went to see a relationship educator because they only need to be educated, not advised. They don't need a doctor, even though she was a doctor. And they certainly don't need medication. Ryan already has enough. Macy doesn't really answer the question right away, but the rest of the family jumps in, mainly Macy's mother, and says, I think if you did that, 
made another appointment with a counselor, I'm sorry, educator, it would make your relationship a lot more consistent and the whole table goes, mm-hmm. Oh my God, how fucking terrible. Is this really going to be the whole conversation? The conversation between all the parents continues and it's mostly Jen and Larry saying, well, you know, Bentley wants his parents there for like the next 30 years. What a statement. And Larry then turns to Macy and Ryan and says, you ever think about that? And that's when Macy kind of is able to say her piece. Yeah, of course we think about that, she says. If we hadn't thought about that, we wouldn't be here right now. And you can tell she's getting a little defensive. Honestly, that was a shitty thing for Larry to be saying. As if anything but Bentley ever crosses Macy's mind. That's all she thinks about. I think maybe, I think maybe, and this just came to me, I wonder if Larry is not compensating for Ryan's lack of interest in Bentley. Well, if Ryan's not going to show interest, I have to. Because he knows what's at stake. He knows what can happen. Larry does back down at that point and says, Okay, well, I just know that you decided making the commitment was the right thing to do. And I just want to make sure you keep working at that. You know, you got you to gotta do this. You got to do that. Someone mentions you got to get a job. But not to Macy, as we know she's a bartender now. But that's when Macy's dad jumps in and asks Ryan, Yeah, Ryan, do you have any prospects? And Ryan says, No. Macy's mom asks, have you been down to the unemployment office? He says, well, they send me a check every week. Good, but you're not, you're not looking. So how much is that unemployment? I just, I want to know the breakdown. How much is that paying for? That's, that's my question. Interesting though, Larry's reaction to that. He just tells Ryan, look, I know the economy is the way it is. I'm not putting any pressure on you, but we have to get serious eventually ryan at some point in your life you have to get serious larry he's not going to get serious if you're sitting there telling him that i understand it's the economy fuck you dude are you joking with me right now that mm -mm. i didn't realize like they're they're really assholes from the beginning aren't they i'm sitting here watching this series thinking they don't get to be jerks until like way later Mm -mm. from the get-go right here you can see it oh it, it upsets me so much the dinner pretty much ends with that comment, and I honestly thought the scene was over, but then next we see Macy and Ryan walking outside with Bentley, and I literally put my hands on my forehead. I'm like, no, I wanted this to end so badly. It was just so painful. But Macy and Ryan are outside walking with Bentley in his stroller, and Macy's asking Ryan, doesn't it bother you when they talk about us like that? And he just says no. Of course not, I'm thinking. Of course not, because you you just don't care. Ryan doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself. And his parents can talk all they want, but he's lived with them all his life, and he knows they're not going to do jack shit. Macy asks Ryan on their walk, do you think we should even do another appointment? Do you think it would help? Valid question. He can't even really answer her. He just looks at her, shakes his head, and he's not even dismissive. He just doesn't seem to care. He says, I don't know. Great, thanks for your input, Ryan. After that half-assed response, Macy kind of scoffs and looks away. The scene closes out with her voiceover saying, How can I believe Ryan is serious about making it work when he doesn't seem to care about anything? Exactly! You can't, Macy. You cannot. Run! Macy's next scene starts with a point that Macy had to grow up very quickly because of Bentley, but Ryan is still acting like a teenager. In this scene, we get to see Ryan tasked with a very simple assignment of mowing the lawn. It turns into a whole fiasco that any other adult would have just fucking dealt with. 
He goes to start up the mower. The mower doesn't have any gas. Larry says there was gas in there. Ryan says there wasn't gas in there. Ryan decides to sit down on a wheelchair they have outside instead of trying to find the gas or helping his dad fill the tank or whatever they have to do. But I guess it turns out there is no gas in there at all. So Larry tells Ryan, okay, go get some gas. Ryan says that he needs money. Larry says, well, go ask your mother. <laughs> this cycle continues twice. He has to ask Ryan twice to go get some gas. And finally, on the second time, they both go inside and try to ask Jen for money. They both are asking her. But once Ryan gets the money from Jen, now it's, who's going to let me drive their car? I can't drive my car. It's got a flat tire. Sounds like Macy wasn't doing her job checking for flat tires. Ryan asks Jen, nope, can't use my car. Ryan asks Macy, nope, can't use my car. Ryan asks Larry, nope, can't use my car. So next we see Ryan giving in, going outside, and filling up his flat tire, and going off to get some fucking gas. What a mess that could have been at least half that complicated, had any normal adult been given that assignment. When Ryan's gone off to get that gas, the following conversation happens behind closed doors. Why is Ryan so high strong? Why, like, I thought he was always so calm and laid back. back. What have you done? <laughs> I'm not blaming it on you, trust me. Yeah, I just want to say really quick here, Ryan isn't acting high strung in this scene. Not at all, in my opinion. He's acting like an asshole because someone's asking him to do something instead of just doing it for him. Hey, look, I have an opportunity to get Ryan a driving job. I know when you think about a truck driver, it's not that high profile or whatever, but the class starts up in October. He can go to the school, he can get his class A license. They make a good amount of money. And we're talking insurance, if nothing else. Do you think that's a bad idea for him? I don't either. I think it's a great idea. And eventually, unemployment will run out, and he'll be without. I don't know if Ryan wants to be a truck driver, but he can't be a kid forever. That's a very good point. We all know he can't be a kid forever, and he was acting extremely childish in this scene here. And I do want to go ahead and say, a truck driving job is a pretty good fucking job. Like, if you are willing to make that trade, because it does take a lot of time depending on the kind of driving you're doing, even just a regular day shift kind of driver might have a lot of hours, but they're making good money. I don't think it would be a bad idea for Ryan to go this route. That's probably one of the best decisions that he can make at this time. So I'm interested to see Ryan's reaction to Larry's suggestion. Something tells me he's not going to go for it because he's a lazy asshole. And also because mm, you need to take a piss test for one of those jobs. In Macy's next scene, we get to meet Don, the family friend who can get Ryan this primo driving job. He's over there to talk to Ryan about the opportunity and gauge his interest and tell him about the next steps, barring his response. Unfortunately, Ryan lets absolutely everybody down and completely wastes this guy's time. The meeting starts off on a bad foot where Don is invited to sit down at the table by Larry. They're all sitting there with Ryan. And Ryan yawns a big yawn without covering his mouth and Don actually asks him, oh, tired over there? 
if this dude is about to help you get a job, you need to look at least a little bit interested. Ryan confirms his disinterest in the very next sentence when Don asks him, so, ready to hit the open road? No, not really. No, not really. Macy's sitting over there on the other side of the room on the couch. I can only imagine what's going through her mind when she hears that. You have this golden opportunity in front of you, and no, not really. Ryan's bullshit excuse is that he doesn't want to be on the move. He doesn't want to live in the back of a truck. He doesn't want to be in a trailer. He doesn't want to be a truck driver. I don't... These are all excuses. There's a bigger reason, and he's not saying it, but there's a bigger reason why, and it might just be that he's lazy, but I don't think that's the only thing. What's actually very interesting to me is I think, I'm inferring, but I think that this Don fellow actually kind of calls Ryan out on being high at the table. We all know Ryan's bug eyes in the more recent episodes, which were dead giveaways that he had been using, but I think they may make their first appearance here in this scene just ever so subtly. After Don asks Ryan if he's tired, he says, what's wrong, man? You got that ghost look in your eye. And I think that's a very interesting statement, and maybe it's just alluding again to his being tired, but just the way this guy says it, and this dude's no dummy. He absolutely would know if you were fucked up on the job. We do know that Ryan just kind of has a natural deadness in his eyes, so it might be that too. But just based on how hard this guy goes at Ryan a little later in the conversation, it makes me think he knows there's a little bit more at play than Ryan just, mm, I don't like to be on the move. Can I ask you some person? I guess so. Do you love Bentley? Oh yeah. How much? A lot. Would you sacrifice for him? Oh yeah. Well then, what's the problem? You know your priorities, man. Come on, be real. What's more important now? Well, he is, but. All right, I mean... then. No, 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 no. That's it right there. That's a yes or no. If he's important, then what you gonna do? We don't get to see how that conversation actually ends or how Ryan responds to that statement. The scene transitions to Macy holding baby Bentley and following Ryan up the stairs to his room. Once the three of them are situated in Ryan's bedroom, it's very clear that Ryan is agitated and probably a little angry for some reason. Macy asks Ryan, well, what did you think of all that? And Ryan repeats what he said before. He doesn't like to be far away. He doesn't like to drive. He doesn't want to be a truck driver. So Macy asks, do you want a job right now? Which is a fair question. Ryan responds, yeah, he does, but that's not the one that he wants. Macy takes this very hard. She actually asks Ryan, why are you so angry right now? I personally didn't take his response as anger, but Macy knows better than me, and she knows what that vibe in the room is like, so I'm going to take her word for it that he responded in an angry way. Macy tells Ryan that she thinks he's mad because they all just sat down there at the table and told him the complete truth, and you don't like to hear it which is a fair assessment. We saw how he acted when he was being told what to do just 10 minutes ago. This is no different. Their conversation continues. Do you not feel bad that your parents pay for Bentley stuff? I mean, you think I like it? Well, I mean, if you didn't like it, you would go to the store and buy it. With what money? You get $300 more a week than I, I do. I only get to keep 80 of it, 60 of it goes in my gas tank. The other half you want to go out and eat on. So I don't know why you're bitching. 
when did we go out to eat? You always want to go out, or you what always did, want to what do something? What did you pay for? You always want to go okay, out. Okay, what? Do tell me. Nice Give me an example. What for. is I don't it? No, I don't. I don't write it down. That is a lie. Is it? Yes, it is. I mean, what did I do? What did I do? You're perfect. You haven't done anything wrong. Let your mom and dad pay for everything for Bentley. It's okay. I never thought I'd become the nagging girlfriend, but if I have to grow up and take care of our son, Ryan needs to, too. Okay, but I didn't think that she was nagging at all in that scene. Am I wrong? It might just be me, but this is why I have to ask those questions in their therapist scene last time, because clearly she considers this nagging, or at least the producers consider this nagging. I look at this and I see a mother asking real questions of an evasive father figure who is continually trying to get his ass out of doing absolutely anything for anybody. And now the question of the money. He's obviously using diversions and projections with this money issue. No, 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 you spend that money. You always want to go out, Macy. And of course, I have to fill my gas tank, even though I don't even like driving and I just had a flat tire. Where's this money really going? And in this scene, I will say the bug eyes are even a little bit more apparent. At this point, given what we know about Ryan and given what we know about his history and when this started... I would say it's starting to take hold now. Now he's starting to lose money. Now there are questions of why he won't get a job. Now he's starting to avoid other opportunities because of mysterious reasons. Macy girl, you're doing the right thing. She grabbed Bentley and they are leaving. They are going back to Macy's house and I hope she remains there. This is not a good situation for anybody. He's really pissing me off this episode. The scene cuts to commercial, but then comes back to another Macy scene. We see Macy and Bentley hanging out at Macy's house. And Macy says that she didn't think she would have to go back to the relationship educator. But maybe if she goes on her own, since Ryan is completely uncooperative, it might help them in some way, shape, or form. Extremely mature attitude and a great observation, Macy. That's always a really good idea, I think to seek help on your own, even if your partner is unwilling, because then that will at least allow you to understand how to behave in those situations and perhaps at least make it more tolerable for yourself to live through. So good idea. God knows I can't pull everybody I have issues with into my therapy sessions. Wouldn't that be fun? So I spied with my little eye something very interesting in this next scene with Macy. In her next scene, we see her going to her therapy appointment with the relationship educator that she and Ryan saw last time, except this time it's just her. And when the nameplate comes on the screen for this relationship educator, it does say her name, Dr. Cutchins, and underneath it, relationship educator. Well, that's great. I'm glad they're so exact on what she does. But you know, it got me thinking, was she a relationship educator in the last episode? The answer is no. <laughs> in fact, they did change her nameplate in this episode from the last. Last episode, she was labeled a relationship advisor. And in this episode, it does say relationship educator. <laughs> I don't really care either way. If you need to see a therapist, you need to see a therapist. I just find it so funny that I think that was probably done on the insistence of the Edwards. 
just based on what I'm picking up from this episode and based on what I know of their ideas about mental illness and needing therapy, but I didn't think it was like that. Macy sits down and brings Bentley in with her since, you know, she's a responsible mom and just accepts the fact that she needs to take her baby around and starts a conversation with the good doctor. They're talking about why Macy pulls away from Ryan. Macy says it's a lot of her own resentment towards Ryan. Sometimes he doesn't seem to even want to take any responsibility for Bentley whatsoever, and that makes her shut down. Macy even says that because of all the things Ryan has done to her in the past, because of all the things he hasn't done for her and hasn't done for Bentley, she's built up a lot of resentment and a lot of hate. And that resentment sometimes makes it hard for her to be happy, even when things are good between her and Ryan. The doctor says that in order for any relationship to flourish, you need to take down those walls of resentment surrounding you, or else nothing can grow. Macy says in return that relationships don't usually get this way from just one person, and in their situation, it's definitely both of them. Now, I have to give her props here for making sure that she says on national television or cable television, however you want to say it, that it's both of them. Ryan may look bad on television, but I'm getting a good edit. Whatever she's trying to say here, I want to commend her on it because she doesn't want Ryan to look that bad. Maybe he doesn't necessarily deserve it yet. But I don't like how we're kind of looking past the fact that I really don't think that she's asking for a lot from him. Did she tell the doctor how he was handed a job and just said no? Why isn't the doctor asking her why she doesn't want better for herself? I understand Macy's goal is to stay with Ryan, so the doctor is probably working within those lines. I guess, in my completely unprofessional opinion, I would just want Macy to maybe look deeper. You know, why do you think that this is what you deserve? Instead, the doctor leaves her with this note. Why don't you try to think of one thing that you can do differently? We need that wall of resentment to come down. What's one thing that you can do differently in your daily life to help achieve that goal? Macy says that she doesn't know what she can do. I don't know what she can do because I feel like she does a lot. I know we're seeing only one side of it. I just can't really look at this situation and see it any other way. And I try to in most situations, just not this one. Frustratingly, Macy's voiceover ends that scene by saying, I've been blaming Ryan this whole time, but maybe he's not the only one that needs to change. Macy, I promise you, whatever you need to change is so minimal, we shouldn't even be worrying about it. I'm not saying that you don't do bad things. I'm saying there is a balance here that doesn't exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? There is no balance. Ugh. In Macy's final scene, we hear that she has not spoken to Ryan since they had that fight where she left the house with Bentley, but they need to go shopping together for groceries for their family dinner they're having that night. As it turns out, the family dinner looks like it's Thanksgiving. No one else is celebrating Thanksgiving in this episode, so I'm not sure why they put that in here. But anyway, we get to see an awkward trip to the grocery store with Macy, Ryan, and Bentley. They all meet up at the grocery store and start their shopping trip. They're not really talking. There's not really a lot to report. Eventually, at one point, Ryan does ask, are you worried about money? 
which is like the weirdest icebreaker question ever. But I guess if you're as socially inept as Ryan seems to be, that's something you say. I don't know. But Macy says, well, my savings account is kind of shot. It would be great. You know, if you had a job, I would worry a lot less. And at this exact moment, MTV edits in an apology from both of them. The camera goes to Ryan so you can't see Macy. And Macy's voiceover says, I'm sorry I got mad at you about the job. The camera pans to Macy and Ryan's voiceover says, I'm sorry I got mad too. What the fuck? What's happening? Why are we fabricating this apology? Did they never address it? I have a feeling they never actually addressed that fight. And this was just put in to give the viewers some closure. What a thing to fabricate. The scene transitions into later that evening where they're having their dinner. And like I said, they don't say it's Thanksgiving. They just call it a family dinner, but they say a blessing, which they hadn't done at any of their other family dinners we've seen. And Larry makes Ryan say what he's thankful for. He starts to answer Bentley, but then they say, well, everyone's going to answer Bentley. We're all going to have that same answer. So besides Bentley, what are you thankful for? And Ryan says, Macy. And she says, oh, am I blushing? And it's a cute moment, but I fucking think it's bullshit and I don't believe him. I think he just found the closest thing near him that he could be thankful for that wasn't the food and said that. It works for him on two levels. They'll stop talking to him and he wins some points with Macy. So I guess good thinking. Ryan's mom, Jen, asks them, well, you know, it looks like you guys have been getting along a lot better, have you? I guess she didn't know about their most recent fight, or the continuity is just so bad that we don't know how they're actually doing in this moment in time when this is being filmed. Macy and Ryan answer that they're doing well, and Macy says that she thinks that she and Ryan were raised very differently. And I think that's very true, but Macy says one way is not better than the other as far as how they were raised, but it's hard to make those two worlds mesh and come together. They finish their meal, and then Macy is shown going upstairs and kissing Bentley goodnight. I guess that meal ended really quickly, and Bentley and Ryan are both sleeping upstairs already, full of turkey, I'm sure, as little potato bugs like to be. But Macy gives them both kisses, and that ends her scene. We go into the montage, and that's the sixth episode of Teen Mom OG. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this 10th session of About This Time of Day, a Teen Mom podcast. And be sure to keep on joining us next time where we talk about episode 7 of Teen Mom OG, Baby Steps. In the meantime, you can catch me on Instagram at A-T-T-O-D podcast on Instagram. Same handle on Twitter at A-T-T-O-D podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That is the acronym for the show about this time of day. And on there, you'll find some things like a heads up on when the next session is going to come out. Of course, a preview into every session's companion strain and some bad art I like to do for every session as well. So... If you're not hip already, get on that. Of course, you can always email attodpodcast at gmail.com. And that's where you can send your Christina facts if you have any. Just a small reminder, only positive Christina facts will be read. So thank you very much in advance. So before we wrap up the show today, I just want to give all my listeners that reminder to keep standing up and keep standing tall like we saw a lot of the girls do today. I'm sure you may be tired and overworked and underpaid. You could be frustrated about where your life is, about where you are. 
Maybe you have anxiety over the trials and tribulations at home and abroad. But realistically, if you still got teen mom, and if you still got a little wee... I don't know why you're bitchy.